What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience. The podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson. And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. As we said, we have a very special guest today, Mr. Jeremy Miller, which we are very excited to see. Even though I see him all the time, it's good to see him right now, too. So I'm Jeremy, super excited to see Jeremy. I don't see him as often. And she doesn't see him as much, yes. but we're all seeing each other right now, and yeah. we look good. And we did. we're videotaping this, too. That's right. That's how good we look. That's right. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> Dallas, for that intro. Uh, and I'm sure that in the show notes or perhaps in the official intro to the show, it'll mention that uh, I used to work at Elevate for a long time. And uh, that's where I springboarded my personal recovery and really my life, for that matter, <laughs> uh, as a whole. And, uh, of course, my professional journey. And, you know, to be quite honest, it feels really good to be in the room with you guys, be in conversation with you guys. I think about Elevate all the time. I miss it. And, um, you know, there's just something special about that place. It's a special place and um, feels like home. You know, does. So I'm excited to be here. Well, we miss you. We miss you being up there every day, bringing light and love and laughter to the place. Times 10. Yeah. yeah. Times oh, wow. 10. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Thank so you. Uh, you are missed from our side as well. Mm. At least we're here today. Yes. And I'm excited for our show. And, I am too. Uh, to get into it, you know. Yeah, me too. And that's what a great segue there, Jam. Yeah. Uh, we should definitely bounce right into why we're all here. We wanted to speak about Mental Health Awareness Month and kind of bring some attention to that topic. Obviously, we all work in treatment and we all address mental health and substance abuse and we talk about resources and we bring awareness and we bring attention. But today, it's kind of like a a special episode or a special term to do that, you know. So I'm excited for that. I think um, we all got a lot to say about it. We all have a lot of different experiences and so I, I don't really know exactly where to start because mm-hmm. there's just so much that we, we could say. Well, I'll say this. I've noticed, and I'm sure you both have too, ever since COVID shelter in place started over a year ago, mm-hmm. I feel like mental health is at an all-time low or high mm-hmm. as it would be just in the amount of people that are experiencing extreme depression, anxiety, all kinds of things that go along with, you know, basically not being able to leave your house. Mm-hmm. Not being able to work, not being able to see your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like morale is is terrible. And I've had many people approach me with like, how do you handle this or what should I do about this? Because it is it it I believe is the true epidemic that we're we're struggling with in the country right now. And how do we get people healthy again mentally? Mm-hmm. Great question. Yeah, you're not wrong uh at all. It um you know, I was I was researching something like uh towards the end of last year. And uh, at the time I was uh, running groups at a, a, a little outpatient in Los Gatos and for mental health and addiction. And, um, you know, be, the shelter in place, like we're all, you know, in treatment. So we kind of see the direct result of things that change, whether it be in, you know, city ordinance, state ordinance, federal ordinance, like usually when a big decision's made, the effects of that will kind of ripple out into our work. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, for me, there was this dark side of the shelter in place, the shadow um, that wasn't really taken into consideration. And if it was, nothing was really done about it. And that is, uh, you know, what happens when you lock an entire country in their homes. Now, I don't necessarily want to veer into all the COVID and politics and all that shit. For sure. But what we can absolutely speak to is the result. Yeah. And, you know, what I saw was like, you know, people on the internet were fighting about this and that, but there was not a lot of mention about what is it doing to our mental health? And what about the people who really need to leave their home for their own safety, their own mental, emotional well-being? Uh, you know, it's like I was working with women who really needed to not be at home mm-hmm. because being at home is where the danger is. They're stuck in these horribly abusive relationships. Uh, they're, you know, partnered up with someone who's actively addicted or abusive, physically, emotionally, whatever. And going to school, going to work was like the only part of the day where they found solitude, peace or safety. And that was kind of ripped out, you know. And so now it's like, okay, cool. Like the COVID numbers are going down. That's great. Vaccine. That's great. Uh, But the results of this collective trauma are going to be, especially for the kids, teens, you know, young adults, like we're going to be seeing that for five, 10 more years. Mm -hmm. And there's Mm -hmm. not enough conversation about that piece of it. So it's like with COVID, it's like, yeah, get the vaccine. And I, I wish there was way more attention from the government uh, and the powers that be to encourage and support people addressing their mental health. You know what I mean? Like Pfizer is great at putting drugs on the market. They're great at running out a vaccine in short notice. And hey, you know, that's what they do. Uh, and that's where all the attention is. It's all on the body. But what about the mind? Yeah. And that's that kind of sucks, you know? Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree anymore. I think that's that's a really great way to paint the current climate or paint the current picture it's like the residual effect of what we all just went through is like mental health issues or isolation or depression or anxiety like we all just went through a lot and there's not a lot of people like you're saying saying hey look into this do this do Mm -hmm. that go back to the gym meditate all these things that we could be doing you know Um, but you did say one thing that was like funny to me not funny like it, it's upsetting i think that's why i think it's funny that's kind of the humor that i have mm-hmm. um but it's like the government didn't put a lot of attention on mental health no they also didn't put a lot of attention on physical health no neither right no, like, in let's fact, shut down gyms opposite. too yeah, yeah like yeah. shut down the gyms shut down all community-based anything and i get it you Except know like, walmart they're okay with yeah, leaving Walmart's that cool. open mcdonald's yeah. is cool yeah i know yeah and like <laughs> you know well and, and to take I'm it even, mad <laughs> to take it even further up the, the food chain, you know, and it's like, and I, I imagine that we'll kind of naturally gravitate towards, you know, solutions and things. But like, just to paint the real picture, we got to look at like the whole thing, right? The whole picture. And yeah. it's like the government will, you know, cut us a check for 1200 600 the little stimmies here and there. And that's, <laughs> that's great or whatever in air quotes. Um, and they have the power. They, it is well within their power to regulate. Uh, these insurance companies, big pharma, like all these other things, we've seen it, mm-hmm. right? Pfizer contracts with the government, insurance contracts with the government. So to me, it's like I've had so many calls, especially over the last three months, where people are like, Jeremy, dude, 
either I'm suicidal or a loved one's suicidal. We don't have insurance. What can we do? And they don't have any money. They got laid off. The mm-hmm. unemployment runs out. Like, and they, they don't have any money. So I can't very well tell them like, oh, do therapy for, you know, an hour a week. And that's, you know, anywhere from six to 800 bucks a month that they don't have. Right. Right. And therapy one hour a week, while absolutely better than nothing, is hardly enough given everything everybody just went through. Yeah. So it's like my frustration is like, where's the government? you know, getting our back on like helping people get into treatment. Why aren't there these huge grants for treatment programs and mental health clinics and therapy and all these things where people can apply and become eligible to receive these grants and then get treatment that they need? Yeah. You know, and it's like and people people say, well, why can't you know, the rehabs just like scholarship beds? And it's like, dude, just like any other business, they are a business. At the end of the day, there's a lot of people they got to pay. There's a lot of expenses. The overhead's crazy high. So talk about high insurance costs. Yeah, like there's there's no way that we can all prop each other up without assistance from above. For sure. And unfortunately, like I just don't see it. Yeah. And it it bums me out, you know. And there's a lot of organizations doing a lot of good trying, uh, but I think broadly, if we really wanted to address the pandemic like actually address it, the vaccine is 10%. Yeah. You know, because what what's the good of being vaccinated and safer from COVID? Physically. Physically, when mentally and emotionally you're in absolute turmoil. Yeah. And I think that's the most beautiful point of the whole podcast, right, is that like the message is mental health should be taken far more seriously than it is. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That's it. Like that it, to me is like the biggest point, you know, and- People don't see them as the same. People don't see physical health the same as they see mental health. Mm -hmm. And I I understand it as well. Like, I understand kind of like it's easier to say, like, if you're anxious or depressed or suffering from this, that, or the third, like, you're kind of just like a weaker person. Like, I Mm -hmm. understand people have kind of that narrative around it. Mm -hmm. Or, like, it'll get better. It'll get fixed. Or, like, to take it up. To take it even further back, like look at our culture. Mm-hmm. It is, it is. Take a pill. Yeah, that, that's where I was going to you know? go with it. It's like yeah. there is solutions they're offering, but yeah. it's just to numb it out. It's Pfizer. Don't deal with it. Pfizer, yeah. but make the pharma take you know, our value more profitable. Yep. Take our Xanax. And this is how you fix your problem. Exactly. No, no, like real world applicable actions. No. Just take a pill, and of course that pill has side effects. You need to take this other pill, and of mm. course that's going to make you not sleep. You need to take this other pill, and before you know it, everybody we know. Uh, is loaded up on all kinds of medications thinking that they knew it because they were trying to solve the problem of their depression and anxiety from being locked in their houses. That's exactly it. And this goes back as long as we can remember, at least as long as I can remember where it's like, you know, there's all this attention on the body, but in kind of all the wrong ways, right? So it's like, you know, the CDC is, you know, stressing the masks and the vaccines. Okay, cool, whatever. Um, but like nowhere have there been mentions about fitness and diet and sunlight and all these other things much the same as, you know, Pfizer has been making money off of our illness, our sickness for decades and it makes way too much money for anybody to stop. Mm -hmm. And so you see a lot of local agencies and programs, you know, doing our best to like provide a solution and provide the help, but we're swimming upstream, you know? Yeah. Well, and as time has gone on and what we've witnessed in the last several years since we've become very dependent 
on insurance because it became mandatory to have insurance at some point mm -hmm. as an individual in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. um, but then what insurance is wanting to pay and approve is not long-term inpatient residential care. Right. What they want to approve is a pill and an outpatient program, mm -hmm. and this should fix you, right? Yep. And so, again, like you had hit on, like it's getting harder and harder for effective help because insurance isn't wanting to pay for it and people are having to pay so much for their insurance they're like i can't afford to pay for help that's insurance right. is supposed to help me that's right so it's this terrible vicious cycle that mm -hmm. we've gotten into as a country where real help is being denied and medication is being prescribed mm -hmm. and it's very frustrating it's brutal and our hands yeah. are almost tied yeah essentially yeah and and you know i think like this cycle that we've been in for forever of, you know, keeping the country sick, so to speak, right? Making it really, really hard to be able to put a check mark in each of the four rooms, right? Uh, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, and physical. It's really hard to check those boxes on a day-to-day -day basis when we're really cornered in how we pursue betterment. Mm -hmm. Right. So whether it be like treatment for my addiction, treatment for my mental health, uh, you know, getting to the gym, eating better, like the the way our economy and country is set up is such that it keeps us in this cycle of illness. And so much like, you know, people's frustrations with politics, right, like whoever the president is really doesn't matter on an individual basis. That's an opinion. Um, <laughs> and so when I when I look to mental health right? It's the same kind of thing. What can people do on their own without the, you know, if they have no options, no money, no insurance, no treatment, that's kind of where I've been focusing a lot of my attention mm -hmm. because it's like, we clearly, we can't look up for real leadership and we have to take this up ourselves. Yeah. We got to support each other. We got to support ourselves. And what that really looks like, I think has been coming more and more to light which is kind of the brighter side of this entire conversation. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because as we were talking, that was kind of what I was realizing too is even though the issue still remains the same, their solutions are, are far bigger and more clear and more reachable and more broad. Mm -hmm. Like now as compared to 30 years ago, there's totally. far more attention and awareness on mental health and mm -hmm. treatment and therapy and all the stuff that's come to light in the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. So as much as this, the situation is a loss, there are way more wins to, to discuss or share or notice, which is good. And yeah. I think that's the type of people we are. Totally. Absolutely. Well, and also I think the stigma is being removed just yeah. like mm -hmm. with drug addiction. You know, mm -hmm. if you were a former drug addict, you're not looked at in the same way as we used to look at it. In fact, some people admire that you've come out of this bad past chosen or not mm -hmm. and made it to the other side and that's the true inspirational story so there's definitely ways out and i think you know we have a lot of solutions that don't cost money and these are the things that i think we all want talked about a lot more for sure as opposed to all the other stuff that mm -hmm. everybody's being bombarded with yeah i mean think about like if the news cycle like think about if there was like a policy where for every five pieces of bad news you give you offer some sort of solution a practical solution, like a five minute spot on every major news network that says, hey, how you doing today? Have you left your house? Have you gotten your body in motion? What did you eat today? Like there's all these little things like skip the burger, hit a salad, go walk for half an hour. Imagine if 
the messaging for just five minutes a day included like, hey, man, like, let's just drop in together, like human to human. Forget what you believe politically. Forget all like where you come from, the color you skip. Forget that human to human. How are you taking care of yourself today? Here's a few ways that if you're if you're struggling, if you're experiencing something and you need some sort of relief, here's a little list of things you can do right now today to gradually improve that. How sick would that be? It'd be sick, but it'll never happen. Yeah, because that's not controversy. Controversy yeah. doesn't sell. Good news doesn't get ratings. No. no. Right? How cool would that be? It'd like, be sick. Like, hey, you just watched an hour of very bad news. Yeah. We're here to now pick you up. Right. And give you solutions and make your day a little bit better. Yeah. and, and Which wouldn't cost anything. No. <laughs> it wouldn't cost. It's just information. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I think that people are at a place, like Angie said, with the stigma where we're finally shifting out of the... You know, put your shoulders up, just roll with suck it. Suck it up. Suck it up into like hide it. Yeah, like put it in the shadow, like shove it deep down, you know, buck up and just keep grinding, you know. I feel like with addiction and mental health, we're shifting more to the place of empathy and compassion. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, as much beef as I have with social media, it's been a huge catalyst for that. Yeah. Cause there's people like huge I don't even like calling them influencers, but like huge influencers that have like uh <laughs> that have a, a really strong powerful message and the clinical know-how to back it up mm-hmm. and it's like man look at like we're just taking matters into our own hands and it shouldn't be that way but damn i'm glad it is damn glad it is yeah. and it should be that way because obviously there's a lot that's not changing that's right you know but it's cool that we all have us three specifically have this experience of getting people off psych medications, getting people healthy and watching it work for 10, 25, 30, 10. We've been watching it for years happen. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's the truth. It's our experience, but it's also true. Totally. You know, like there's proven methods that are effective and work and we watch it happen in real time. Yeah, dude. And it'd be silly to not just talk about that and continue to talk about that. Which is why we created this podcast Mm -hmm. is to reach more people, to help more people. We Mm -hmm. help all the people in our sphere, but how do we help people outside that sphere know that there's other ways of doing things? It doesn't have to be just a pill and, you know, suck it up. There is like real life solutions to these problems. Yeah. And I mean, uh, something just came through for me and that's that, you know, I work with an alumni from Elevate. And her and I, uh, we don't go a single session without talking about the magic that happens up on the mountain, mm-hmm. right? And how, you know, spiritually she feels so drawn to the place, you know? And she was like, That's Jeremy, cool. I just can't figure out, like, why that is. And I was like, well, let's let's get curious, you know? Let's look at that. And after really diving into what could be behind that, it was clear as day what it was. It was that... On any given day at Elevate, you check each of the four rooms, right? You work out or you exercise, uh, you learn, right? There's, of course, like the phase books and the curriculum where you're learning about yourself and learning how to respond to the world in a way with less reaction and more influence, right? So you're hitting uh, physical, intellectual, there's conscious recovery and mindfulness, so you're hitting spiritual, and you're seeing your one-on-one at least once a week to hit the emotional, Right. Not to mention all the ancillary stuff with the families and everything else. Right. Yeah. And so I asked her, I said, you know, what would it be like if you just tried to recreate that in your everyday, whether you're at Elevate or not? 
right? What if every day you just assigned yourself one task for each room, not even a big task. Don't overwhelm yourself because our subconscious will try and prevent us from moving forward, right? But what if it was just one little thing for each room? What would that create? And it makes a world of difference when we're not on autopilot and we take a little time and say, what can I gift myself today for my body? I'm going to get out and move, whatever it looks like. Could be CrossFit, could be yoga, could be running, walking, doesn't matter, you know? And what can I do spiritually, intellectually, and emotionally? And I feel like if, if there were one takeaway, that's what I would invite the most, right? Because when we're on the autopilot, like pursuing the American dream and the dominated cu- culture, <laughs> yeah, right? It's very much centered in the intellectual space, right? I got to think my way out of this. And when someone is, is struggling from mental health, when they're in a depressive episode or they're, you know, bipolar, whatever it may be, it is anything but intellectual. You right. can't just think your way out of stuff. Something you thought you your way into. Hard. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's, it's not just like, you know, hey, um, you know, change your thinking, change your life. There, there's, there's truth to that. But However. When you're, when you're working <laughs> yeah. with someone who's, who's in a place where life is no longer worth living, where no matter what you have, you've got the wife, you've got the kids, you got a six-figure income, beautiful house, two cars, a dog, and you still see no point in continuing your life. That's not something you can think out of. And I feel like, uh, unfortunately, that's where we put all of our attention is thinking. And so, you know, the magic of Elevate can really work for anybody if they, you know, took just a little bit of time out of the day and and didn't look at it as like a to do, but rather a gift, I'm yeah. gonna gift myself ten minutes without my phone, just to come, just to anchor a little bit and fucking like let let things slow down, you know, uh, and that that would be a huge step, I think. It's interesting you bring that up because last night I was at graduation and um, one part of our program is is doing amends. And there was two girls that were graduating uh, that part of the program. And the biggest part and, and, you know, so much amends is making up to the people that you did damage to because there's so much guilt, shame. Mm -hmm. You know, you really screwed things up. You're trying to repair the relationship. You're taking accountability and responsibility for the things you've done. But what struck me so interesting about these girls is they wanted to read their essay. And the biggest takeaway that they both got from it was the amends that they did to themselves. Mm -hmm. Nice. Which is, you know, I did all these awful things to these other people, but guess what? I really did all these awful things to myself as well. Amen. And I got to put myself number one and forgive myself and look at where I was and where I am. And I think there's just so much beauty in that because I think that's often an area that's overlooked, especially in mental health, where Mm -hmm. you're just looking at how you're hurting or you're hurting those around you and you don't realize you've got to forgive yourself as well. That's it. Yeah, the hurting on the inside is most likely the source of all the issues on the outside. Yeah, yeah. and it we're the least in. forgiving with our own selves yeah. for what we've done. And it's like, cool, like you said, to be, let's go hard, you know, David Goggins, I think we all have some of that in mm-hmm. us, but there's oh, yeah. also got to be the other side of it, which is forgiving of ourselves and understanding of we were making choices from a different kind of place. 100%. Like if I asked the both of you right now, Who's the number one person in your life? Me, baby. Would you say me if we hadn't talked about all this before? No, I'd say my kids. Right. I'm not a parent, so. But would you say your fiance? That's tricky. Right? 
and and the point is that like I've I've run groups where I you know I'll stop the group dead in the tracks and say who's the most important person in your life. Never have I seen anybody. Obviously, you two are a little, uh, you know, but no, <laughs> never have I seen anybody say me, mm-hmm. right? And it it is the culture that we are programmed by, where everything is reliant on the external, right? What can I do to make more money? Well, why do I need more money? So I can buy more stuff. Well, why do I need more stuff? So that I can impress that person or so that I can look this way. And all of those things are based on what we believe the world expects of us. And we think all those things are going to make us feel better about ourselves. If I make that money, if I get that girl, if I do this, then I'm going to feel good about me. But not until all that happens. That's right. And it's just such a peril. And I think that, you know, the, the mental health conversation is... Like Angie said, it's like, you know, when people are in a like really dark space, most of the thoughts are like how disappointed everyone is in me right now. You yeah. Know, why yeah, yeah, am yeah. I so effed up and everyone else gets to be so normal? And and that just like breaks my heart. I'll never forget. I was working at that outpatient and a client came in for a tour and she was a little late, you know, and I know like I hate being late and like I get... Like, you know, especially going to a new place and it's like, I can't find parking. And then you're looking for the place. And the more time you're looking, the more late you are and the more stressed you get. And the GPS quits working and you're yep. like, I don't even know where I'm going now because it quit working. Yeah. You just triggered the whole audience. Oh, They're tripping right now. Oh, yeah. Like, ah, it is. Slow such, down. It's such <laughs> a, especially like going to a treatment program where it's like my life is at a point that I can no longer live with. Mm-hmm. Right. You add all that together and I hear this woman walk in and I could hear in her voice this despair. And it just completely broke my heart because it was like she hit a point in life where she could no longer continue the way she was because the way she was living life was far below what she knew she deserved. Yeah. And, and hearing that pain was so hard for me and it was like, God, I'm so glad I'm here like doing this work because there's not enough of us, you know? Yeah. Give no big hug. Yeah. I'm like, dude, ugh. thank God you're here. I'm yeah. so glad for you to be here. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And there's so many people out there that, that haven't made the drive that haven't shown up late that haven't right. done any of that stuff. Well, yeah. because they don't even know there's solutions out yeah, there. Exactly. All they know is they're supposed to stay inside their house and avoid everybody. Right. And take a pill to feel better. Yeah. It's a, it's a brutal brutal uh situation that we're it's in. super brutal and i think what comes up for me are, are kind of two twofold where like i forget where i heard this but i really liked this reframe or like the way to look at mental health issues and it might not land with everybody and i'm not saying it's always true or that i'm even like qualified to say this is true but it helped me right where it's like the mind or the like the mental health outcomes it's kind of like your brain is telling you something's wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're depressed or you have social anxiety that's crippling you or like you're acting manically, like it's almost your body saying like, hey, look, something's something's wrong. Something's going on. And so if you're experiencing mental health issues, it's not like you're broken. It's just it's just an alert that something needs attention. That's it, man. And so it's a it's a gentler way to to look at it, mm-hmm. right? Where you don't have to feel like a POS for being anxious or depressed or acting manically or not having control of your thoughts, intrusive thoughts, whatever they may be. 
it's more of like a call to action rather than like a call to isolate or a call to run. That's right. So or a call to label. Yeah. Or a call yeah. to label. Yeah. yeah. It's your body telling you, hey, something needs some attention. Like what can you gift yourself yeah. to cure this? Don't run from this. Let's mm-hmm. look at this. Mm-hmm. And who can you look at it with? So I wanted to to mention that because I think it's a good call to action. I think it's a good reframe. It's a good kind of thing to stick with in your mind. And then also you and I spoke a lot this week because we hang out a lot talking about Jeremy for the people not watching the video. (laughs) I'm like looking right at Jeremy, you know, Um, and you were speaking about, so you worked in addiction treatment for a long time. Yeah. And then you worked at this outpatient where there was addiction treatment and specifically a mental health track or Mm -hmm. a mental health program. Mm -hmm. And you had some realizations from that. Do you want to share them? Yes, yeah, sure. you can say no. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll share. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, thought they were interesting. Yeah, as, as someone that doesn't have the same experience. Yeah, it was it was culture shock for sure. Um, you know, having spent ten years with addiction, you you know, and and the the, the reality is that fundamentally, uh, there can't be addiction without mental health right stuff. Right, like they are they are synonymous. Uh, I. You know, and I've had pushback on that, but it's like, find me a heroin addict that isn't also depressed. You know what right, I mean? Right, yeah, it's exactly. Like, it, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know a lot of them. Maybe they're out there, and I don't, I don't like absolutes. They make me nervous. But in my experience, I haven't really seen someone with just addiction. For sure. Um, you know, and what I learned with the mental health clients was, um, You know, T.J. Woodward, uh, the the author and founder of Conscious Recovery, his whole premise is that uh, underneath all addictive behaviors, there is an essential self that is whole and perfect and that we're not broken. And, um, you know, the three of us love David Goggins and Jocko and, you know, Andy Frisella and these tough dudes. And people have asked me, like, how do you reconcile the conscious like light and love spiritual woo woo and like how are you both yeah yeah. and then you go to like put on your weight vest and like you know scream who's going to carry the boats yeah right (laughs) and and the reality is that you know ego has its place and it does serve us and when i'm listening to goggins sometimes my ego needs a kick in the butt yeah and there's nobody better than goggins to do that and i know that it's just ego Right. That like underneath all that, like none of that stuff matters, you know, Mm -hmm. but when my ego is being, you know, a little whiny in the corner, David Goggins is good at bringing that out. And when I worked with addiction clients, that was very much the energy around it. Right. You can, you know, when you're working with addiction, it's like not a clean, sterile, like very tight and maintained space. Right. We we're in the mud. Right. Mm-hmm. We're all in it. We've all been there. So there's a certain energy you can bring. You'd be a little rough around the edges and it's like great. Right. And it lands and, and it you works. You can hold people accountable because yeah. you know they can do it. Yeah. And it, exactly. Like you can you can be firm because you know that, you know, people in addiction uh, are oftentimes a little bit sharper than they may present, present as. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when I when I switched gears and went to mental health, it was a completely different game. And Uh, The reason I brought up TJ Woodward is because he views addiction as a brilliant strategy, right? Because 
uh, when I think about me and alcohol, there were times in my life where I was so uncomfortable with who I was, how I looked, what my life was, that I couldn't, I couldn't take it. And I would go to the bottle, and then all of a sudden, all that would go away. I'd be shy or nervous at parties, nervous around girls. I'd take a couple shots, and all of a sudden, that all went away. That's a brilliant strategy because it worked until it didn't. Right. 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 What I learned very quickly with the mental health clients is they they don't have that luxury. They don't pursue the luxury of hitting the bottle to drown out the depression. They don't they they don't uh, steer their lives into substance that alleviates this deep, deep internal pain, whether it's biological or not. It's there. And that's something they, they don't pursue. And it's almost like they can't fathom the thought of escape because even in the escape, they will always be broken. Mm-hmm. That was the energy I was met with. And that is... And that's heavy. It's hard, dude. It's so hard because, you know, even as someone who's has experience with tough cases, you know, people present with... I mean, a lot of times, man, what we see in treatment is pretty rough. Yeah. Um, but it's just different. And so what I leaned into more was, you know, reaffirming the fact that, like you said, Dal, this is, these are wounds that need attention, not uh, pieces or, of, of ourselves that are broken or lost forever. That the journey of pursuing uh, mental and emotional fitness is isn't about getting to a certain destination, but rather just improving the path. Yeah. Right? Like, I know living in California, I pay taxes like crazy. Mm-hmm. We all do. Mm-hmm. And the roads still suck. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> and, you know, I, I often think, like, I wonder how much better my drive would be if the road was better. Right? And that's all the work that I did with the mental health clients. It's like, I don't know where you're going. I have no idea. But I hope that I can support you in improving the path. Right. And if we can affirm that this isn't necessarily something that you will carry forever, but rather something you're carrying right now, it's not this piece of you that's shattered into a million pieces and won't ever get better. But instead, it's these deep wounds from childhood that just need your attention. Right. Your 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 central nervous system is shooting flares, hoping that you see one and drop in and say, I wonder what that is and how can we work with it? You know. And that's a huge shift from addiction. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I learned a lot about addiction in the process because it, it's very similar. It they just work shows with up each other. different, you know? Right. Yeah. No, thanks for sharing that, man. And, and when you told me that, or when we spoke about that, it, it hit just as hard as it did now. And, and, and for, so what comes up for me, and then I'll kind of explain why I wanted you to share that, is because what comes up for me is like this like deep like sympathy or like, sympathy and empathy for people with mental health issues, right? Like I couldn't imagine not having a solution for the pain that I had. Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine, right? Like I used heroin and crack and Xanax every day to deal with my issues and it did work. Mm -hmm. And most of the time I experienced far more relief than pain Mm -hmm. because I was a good drug addict or whatever you want to call it or (laughs) terrible, right? Yeah whatever viewpoint you want to have. Yeah. yeah. It's really good at doing heroin and not feeling shit. Right. So I couldn't imagine having to deal with those deep seated issues that I had 
without any relief. Mm-hmm. So, and then I think as someone that's been counseling and in the field for seven years and is like a pretty empathetic person, you telling me that still creates all this empathy for people with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And so if that happens to me, who someone I would label myself as like generally empathetic, generally sympathetic, what about the rest of the world? Yeah. You know, like what is that creating you guys? Like mm-hmm. how does that change your viewpoint on people that are anxious and have anxiety disorders and depression and manic behaviors? Like how can you guys be more sympathetic and empathetic of these issues Cause that's, what's really happening. Mm -hmm. These guys aren't getting any relief. They're getting yelled at their boss. They're their own boss, right? Like they're getting yelled at in their head all the time by themselves. Mm -hmm. Like they're going through enough pain. Mm -hmm. They probably don't need your judgment or your shame Mm -hmm. or your projections. And what can you do to stop facilitating that? If you are, yeah, that's what comes up for me. For sure. So as you're saying that, and I don't know if I'm playing devil's advocate here, you might but be. also the other side of things is I also feel like it's become, because I think as a society, we have become pretty accepting of depression, anxiety, all these things. I mean, if you go in for uh, anything, I got a splinter in my toe. The first question <laughs> are, are, you are, you, are you depressed? Do you yeah. have anxiety? That's mm-hmm. from the doctor. Like mm-hmm. it's almost like now society for a lot of people has shifted into a point of planting that seed. Yeah. And saying, this is what you have, and that's okay, because we have a pill for you. Yep. But it's, and I feel like smart people, mostly addicts, and that's why I probably <laughs> like I'm thinking this way, use that as a way to be a victim of what's happening to them, which of mm. course keeps them in the spiral of not getting better. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's... because there's some there, of that, for sure. For yeah. sure. Like, I mean, yeah, it's like you work in addiction treatment long enough, you get played. You're going to get played. You get played, yeah. like, and then you, you get jaded. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then you get jaded. And I think, like, for me, working with both demographics at the same time was so illuminating because what what it came down to for me was not how are they showing up, but how am I showing up. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, there's kind of like this, there's two sides to it where you'll see people on Instagram or you'll, you'll see people in the world, right? Where it's like, uh, you know, I, I shut down or I, I'm, I am shut down or I'm emotionally distraught and I'm genuinely experiencing these things. And then you have people who may be experiencing those things to a degree, um, but leverage uh, the empathy strings from people like us to, yep. you know, pull moves or whatever, right? And so it's like, I, I, I hesitate in using a broad brush, um, but I think the the way to reconcile the two is how am I sh- showing up? Because there are clients where sometimes they tell me like, yeah, I was just too depressed to get out of bed. And I, I look at, okay, how long have I been working with this person? How did they present last week? How's our communication been throughout the week? And what could there be underneath that? Now, whether or not they are actually too depressed to get out of bed, the first thing I'm going to do is be curious, open, and present. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be curious, like, okay, what was that like for you, right? What are the things happening around that? Uh, and then I'm open to whatever it is they say and present for whatever comes up in me because the reality is that I have wounds too, just like them. And oftentimes when I'm holding space for somebody, if they get into their stuff and I haven't healed my own, I'm going to put a wall up, Right. Uh, and for me, like I was very jaded having worked with nothing but, 
you know, for the most part, younger drug addicts, yeah. right? For like 10 years, it's like you get used to a certain kind of energy, right? You do. Um, and when I, even with the mental health clients, like that would come up sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, how can I support and not enable? How can I hold space without judgment, right? And all that work I do here first, knowing that it'll it'll then trickle out to them. And the the reality is that as you know, counselors, the three of us, like we have to model what it is to do the work. So when they look to us and they see that even when, when I have a bad day, I still get up, I still do what I need to do to take care of myself, whether I hate myself that day or not, they say, wow, like it is possible. You know, people will be like, Jeremy, you're always happy. And I'm like, dude, I'm not. Yeah. If I'm only not. you knew. I'm definitely not always happy. There are times where it's like I couldn't be further from happiness. Mm-hmm. And it's in those times that I get the most curious. And if I can guide my clients to just be curious, open, and present, it'll create a lot more for them in their path than I think, uh, you know, just coddling, enabling, or otherwise. Yeah. No, I really like that. It's really, tricky, though. It is tricky. It's super tricky. And I think that's kind of like, the other message is there's not a one size fits all for mental health. There's not a blanket cure or a pill or a blanket statement like and it's it's tricky. Yeah, and it's tricky. And that's why a lot of people avoid it. It's because you can't just say, like, pull your shoulders back. Right. You can't just fix it for somebody else. Yeah. Even even though you want to. And then when it you try to fix it, and it doesn't work. Then you like make yourself wrong for it and nothing happens. Well, yeah. And like think about the model that Elevate uses, right? It's like some people get way more out of CrossFit than they do the Facebooks. For sure. Right? Some people- And vice versa. Like they're in in CrossFit and they're like, wow, like I love this camaraderie. I love like pushing my mind and pushing my body. I love the way I feel after. I love like this huge dopamine rush and all these endorphins that I get. And then I look in the mirror and I look jacked. Like that's awesome. And they get so much out of that. There's other people where the 10 minutes of mindfulness that start the day completely changes their lives. Mm-hmm. And, and this all points to the same thing. And that is that if we can shake the stigma and just meet someone where they are, not where we think everybody is, mm-hmm. we can actually have really meaningful impact. Well, and as since we're talking about solutions, I don't think it's that different. I mean, generally speaking. So we've, we've engaged in outcome studies since we started Elevate for the last five years. And pretty much 99% of the people that come in have co-occurring depression, anxiety, and all these other things along with their addiction. Yep. As they go through the program and we, we speak with them weekly and then we follow them out the program, as they're walking out the door, 90% have solved their depression and anxiety just by getting sober, just by doing the same things that people, that addicts do, just by you know physical exercise and addressing their triggers and their traumas and everything else. And they walk out the door without suffering from those negative emotions mm-hmm. because they're still doing the work. Yeah. And I think that's the key is doing the work. 100%. Like whatever that looks like, it's investing that time and energy into yourself and diving into those deep, dark places mm-hmm. and doing the work to come out of it on the other side as well. Well, and the proof's in the pudding too, because when people relapse, 
all you have to do is just ask what like, what have you been doing for the last month mm-hmm. yeah what what was the last month what it looked like yeah 99 percent of the time have you been working out no have you been eating healthy no have you been journaling? No. Have you been meditating? No. And so on and so on. You go on to a so meeting? Yeah. You be around people? No, you, you nothing. Know. Right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I think like, you know, to Dal's point, um, with the stigma and like, you know, kind of that this empathy that mm-hmm. you were inviting the audience into, I think it's really a matter of like, if everybody just started doing a little more work personally, what would that create in the world? Like I think about that all the time. Like I was I was visiting family and politics came up and it was just like the worst. I bet. It was the worst, you know. And like I'm friends with like full on Buddhists, right? But then you bring Trump up and all of a sudden all those Buddhist principles kinda go out the window. Right. <laughs> and and it's like these these little ironic synchronicities, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, you know, it's hard to show up like 100% authentically all the time, right? Because we all have egos. The work really is can I foster a strong enough relationship between who I am and who I think I am, ego, to where I can recognize the difference. And if everybody just did that, imagine the world we live in, right? Where behind a conflict, it's like, wow, is this like, is this really me or is is this a wound getting touched? Is this my ego flared up because of something that happened to me when I was seven? You know, and it's that processing in real time that creates actual freedom. So when you look at people with really long-term recovery, what you see in common is persistent work. Yeah. All I'm trying to do is know me better, right? Yeah. And those are the people that have 20, 25, 35 years sober, right? Is they do the work over time consistently. And with mental health clients, it's the same. It just looks a little different, right? right? But it's just persistence. It's endurance, you know? And if we remove the 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 fantasy that we're going to get to this destination where everything's perfect and instead focus on what can I do to enhance the path, it invites that work in a bigger way. I think you nailed it as far as you've just got to consistently be growing and changing and improving yourself because it's just the law of the universe. It's like yeah. gravity. If you're not moving up, you're going to start sliding down the other side. So it has mm-hmm. to be a continue. It's not like, oh, I'm fixed. Now I can go back to what I was doing or just do nothing. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't work that way. No. Quick little story. So I have my hairstylist who saw me doing 75 hard and mm-hmm. she's like, oh, maybe I want to try that. And I'm <laughs> thinking, oh, well, it's pretty hard, but okay, go for it. And she's been uh, sober with AA. I think she just celebrated her 30 years. Nice. Nice. Good yeah. for her. Yeah. So, yeah. of course, that's who I want doing my hair. Someone that's who's right. sober, but. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want you want a, a shaky scissor. No, I don't want a tweaker with my hair. But, you know, over, you know, the last 15 years, we've bonded. You spend, a, mm-hmm. at least you get as a woman, I spend a lot of time in that chair with that's her. That's your girl. That's, right. that's my girl. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, you know, we were talking, and, and, and part of 75 Hard is you have to read 10 pages of uh, self help or self-improvement every single day it doesn't mm. matter what it looks like but it has to be a self-help kind of book and she said Angie do you think it's okay if I read you know out of AA as my 10 pages and I said yeah mm. I don't know why not and then part of me was like you've been reading that book for 30 years don't mm. you want to read something else mm-hmm. but for her she was still getting something out of doing that work in what she yeah. so much believed in yep. that got her sober and where she's at today she felt comfortable still reading it over and over and over again mm-hmm. and still getting so much out of it. And I totally. really like it helped my perspective as mm. well. And there is no one way fits all. There That's is right. no everybody goes this way and you're going to get sober. You can interpret it and in how you can as long as you're doing some kind of work. Amen. Yeah, I love that. 
Wow. What a great episode so far here, folks. Yeah, I got more on that. On this episode? Yeah, yeah. We got, oh, we got, yeah. We're not done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I, got I just, we, want, I just had to call it. for a while. Yeah. I know. I just had to, like, name it. Like, yeah. this is going really great. You know, I and, mean, uh, we've been we've been having these conversations for like ten years. That's true. You know what I mean? Like That's the three true. of us get around a table. This is what's gonna happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. It's the magic. Yeah, but I think uh, you know one one of the things that came to mind is you know I think about Eckhart Tolle who wrote The Power of Now and a New Earth, which is my all time favorite book. Mm-hmm. And um, I was yeah, I had this really profound experience because in in the book he speaks to abundance, right? And how we all want we all seek abundance. And we look at it in a very certain way of like I need more, therefore I will be abundant, right? And that's really kind of inherently flawed. And so what when he speaks to, you know, people who are craving uh abundance, that really whatever it is that you feel you need from the world, you extend your hand and give instead, right? And so when I think about mental health and I think about the stigma, um, for people that are suffering, which there are billions, a lot of times it's like, I just want to be seen. I just want to be heard. I just want to be understood. Yeah. And I was working with a client who had a strained relationship with their parents, right? Shocker. And um, they didn't know that this client was pursuing treatment for their mental health. And over the the course of about 15 weeks, uh, it came to light that that's what they were doing, working on their mental health. And there was a huge frustration on the parents end. Uh, Like, why didn't you tell us? Why, Why didn't we know this? Like, you've been so distant, like all this stuff. And the client came to me like super fly TNT pissed off about this. Mm -hmm. Right. And they said, Jeremy, like, I want them to just understand me. Like they should know and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I wonder like, you know, is there curiosity? Like, isn't that pretty innocent? Like, isn't that innocent for them to be curious about what's going on for you? And what would happen if you just told them, you know? And I had a, I experienced a ton of resistance, as I'm sure you guys could imagine. And so I pulled out a new earth and I read her that paragraph. And, um, you know, I said, what, what would happen if you went home and at some point when it felt right? And you'll know because our intuition is very important. It tells us everything we need to know. So you'll know when the time is right. And when the time is right, what would happen if you just walked up to your dad and gave him a hug? You didn't say anything. You didn't ask for anything, but if your request of the world is love, what would happen if you gave love instead? A lot of resistance, a lot of resistance. We worked with it. We got curious. And finally, her growth assignment or homework uh, over the weekend was to lean into that when the time was right. Yeah, I and, like that. And that's the key piece is the, the, the time being right. You know? Yeah, you can't force a hug. You like, you're, you're, <laughs> pop, I mean, you can, but that's something else. Yeah, Pops is 20 minutes late for work. <laughs> probably a bad time. You're you know? not going to receive love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Tuesday comes around. I go into the office, and uh, this client approaches me with the biggest smile I'd ever seen on their face. And I said, well, I wonder how the growth assignment went, you know? And later in group, they shared that uh, they waited for the right time and approached dad and gave him a huge hug. And in that moment, it was right before dinner, everybody's at the dinner table and dad started crying. They all sat down 
And the client said, I want you guys to ask me anything and anything you ask me, I'll answer honestly. They were at the table for three hours, all of them sobbing. Wow. Right? No judgment. No, you're wrong for not telling us or, you know, and they asked the, the heavy questions. Were you suicidal? And they said, yes, that creates a lot of emotion. I'm not a parent, but I can only imagine what that creates for the parent. And they still did not meet the client with judgment because the client took the initiative and said, what I request of the world is love. So I'm going to give it instead. It created this incredible conversation where they could all be authentic without worry of judgment or repercussion or any of that kind of stuff. And then afterwards, the client went to their room to watch their shows like they do every night. Dad came into the room and said, hey, do you mind if I just hang out in here with you? The client said, yeah, of course. You know, So he sat on the chair over here watching his show and the client sat over here watching their show. And they did that for a couple hours and that was it. And I said, when's the last time that happened? And the client said, it's never happened in their entire life. Wow. Right? So the invitation is if I feel like I need something, if I had more of this, if I had more of X, what would it create if instead of sitting there wishing it would just fall in my lap, if I went out and gave it instead? And I've used this practice constantly and I've never seen it not work. So for people who are suffering, that would be my invitation, right? What do you need and how can you give that? Because the more I see people for who they are and what they are, ego and all, if I see wholeness and perfection, that's how I'll be seen. And that, if yeah. that spreads, imagine what it'll create culturally. A new earth. A new earth. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. That's why he wrote the book. <laughs> yeah. That's why he wrote the book. And that's what he wanted. Yeah, man. <laughs> like that was, that would be a new earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wonder how it's going. <laughs> I honestly feel like we're doing really well. I do too. I feel like there are so many things wrong and we should end on a positive note. 100%. But I think things are moving in a direction that we'd only move in if COVID happened. Mm -hmm. Right? Like we needed a global dark night of the soul. We needed globally to stop, slow down and just stop and be so yeah. that all this stuff could come to the surface for us to look at finally and work on. No. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I think the example that comes up for me is like, we needed to slow down to realize what was important. All the people in the world that are realizing what is important again can now share that to the people that maybe are still struggling to realize what's still important. That's right. You know, and that's kind of what's happening. Yep. I know that's exactly what happened with me. You know, mm -hmm. I spent the first part of it being really bitter and angry mm -hmm. and confused of like, how are we going to survive this? What am I going to do? You know, being a business owner in healthcare, you have to make a million decisions a day of how to <laughs> keep everybody safe, but keep running your business, but keep helping people who need your help. And <laughs> during a pandemic, during a pandemic. Yeah. And so it was like a really hard time as well as I was dealing with my sons, you know, in his final senior year and yeah. watching you know, a very happy, well-adjusted kid goes through his own darkness. And as a parent, there's no pain that's that's worse than watching your kids yeah. struggle, yeah. especially one that, uh, you know, doesn't deserve that. I mean, yeah. not that anybody deserves it, but, you know, and so for me, I went through a really dark kind of place. Mm -hmm. And what it did is it caused me to look inward. It caused me to do some soul searching. It caused me to really 
uh, you know, attack some things that I never had been forced to attack because I've been running, running so fast, mm-hmm. and working, 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 running, mm-hmm. running, running. It forced the slowdown, like yep. you said, where yep. I could really do some soul searching. And what's come out of it is uh, me as a much better person and uh, way better to be there and uh, be there for more people to help more people. And what did that, so in that transformation that you went through, how did that then trickle down to him? So fortunately for us, and I'm so glad you asked this question because I I really want to talk about it. Not that I like talking about my son's business, but (laughs) 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 you know, he's a very social person. So when, when we got locked down, it was really hard for him to go through, you know, now doing school online on a computer and Mm. you know, the teachers don't know what they're doing. They weren't like prepared for this. So watch, you know, it was, it was a shit show. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. so fortunately for me, I had put a CrossFit gym in my garage like two years ago. Mm-hmm. If I cleaned out the garage, Daniel said, fine, you can put in a gym. So I did it. <laughs> <Deal>. <laughs> and I have a great, great CrossFit gym. And so every day I was like, listen, you know, I know we're in this like hell right now, but you're going to be going to college. Luckily, he chose like a college out of state in mm-hmm. Texas. So we knew he would be physically going to the college. Mm-hmm. Let's work on you right now and get you in your best physical mental form Mm -hmm. when you hit the town so you know all the ladies will be impressed whatever Mm -hmm. it was Mm -hmm. which they were which they were and we were in that gym every single day we were Mm -hmm. doing workouts he was super strict on his diet you know and 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 it wasn't always fun like he was kind of an asshole like to work out with like i'm trying to like coach him because i'm a crossfit coach yeah he doesn't want to hear that from his mom he's me as mom yeah and then when i'm lifting kind of heavy he's like even more mad at me yeah of course yeah so it wasn't always like fun for me to push him to to do his best mm-hmm. but it's what got him through because mm-hmm. of that physical exercise we get outside we go run we would do these things and 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 then physically he started looking better he started feeling better his mental health was okay and it mm-hmm. put him in such a better position than so many other kids that we saw that their solution was to sit and just play video games yeah shut the doors yeah pull the blinds day after day just play video games to try to escape what was happening yep 100 percent Damn, dude. Those last two stories were pretty impactful. Yeah, man. And I'm, I mean, I, I guess I am part of the audience, but yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm also like co-hosting the show, but I'm like, damn. Yeah. Those are blown some, out. Yeah, man. Like those are some heartfelt stories, you know, especially because I think I know the person you're talking about. So mm. it just made it a little bit more like, oh shit, man. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, what two beautiful, perfect examples, you know? Yeah. And I uh, love that. I think. For me to say anything right now, I'd just be trying too hard. And I just want to sit with that. (laughs) Well, then let's just talk about solutions because we've talked about what doesn't work. We've talked about we don't necessarily think medication is always the solution or answer. Or it it tends to be a quick fix and not like really giving yourself the space to dive deep. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about some real world solutions that anybody listening, whether they have money or don't, can apply to their lives and see some kind of success. Okay. I love that. Yeah, I do too. I yeah, know where I want to start. Yeah, dude, you got something. I, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, I know where I want to start. And uh, it's CrossFit. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's CrossFit. I, know, I, I was going to battle you of who was going to do it first. Yeah. But I was That's like, why I was like, I'm going it. first. Yeah. Yes. I know Angie's going to say CrossFit, but I, I really feel called to say CrossFit yeah, right yeah. now. Yeah, exercise. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that physical health translates straight into mental health just like Angie's story kind of conveyed and yeah, for sure. the experience that I've seen and, and the experience I have of myself. Mm. I work out all the time, not because I want to be this crazy fit guy, but I want to be this crazy happy guy, mm-hmm. you know, and I know that they both go hand in hand. 
I don't really need to know why or the mechanics behind it, but I have that experience that says it's true. Mm -hmm. And so that would be my first solution, especially based on like the money, no money thing. Like you can go to planet fitness for 10 bucks. You can Mm -hmm. get any CrossFit workout online for free. Mm -hmm. You can get, go to uh, Instagram, go to social media, right? Anyone, anyone listening right now, go to your local CrossFit gyms, Instagram, and they'll, they'll be posting their, their workouts, Mm -hmm. you know, or they will be, they'll have some sort of free service that at least gives you the information, Mm -hmm. maybe not the equipment in the space, but there's so much stuff that you could do with a dumbbell. I mean, I think I, we all learn that. I know we all learn that from knowing you guys, Mm -hmm. how many at home workouts that we do with just one dumbbell. Oh my God. I went to Florida the day of the shelter in place. That's right. And I couldn't tell you, I worked, I worked out 12 times in 14 days with just body weight. Yep. Not one dumbbell. I think I used a broom as a PVC pipe one yep. time and mm-hmm. did a bunch of snatches and clean and jerks mm-hmm. at, you know, four ounces or yeah. four, eight, six ounces, whatever a broom weighs. So that's kind of my major call to action is like the way to tackle for me mental health and physical health at the same time is through exercise, mm-hmm. some some form, you know, and that could be walking, that could be push-ups, that could be just more than you're doing now. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. Like, I can't think of one time, and and sometimes mentally it's hard to push yourself, especially if you Mm -hmm. don't have somebody pushing you to go exercise. And when you're in a bad space, it's easy to talk yourself out of it. But I found, and and again, you know, I bring it up again, 75 hard as a blessing because it pushes you. You have to go work out two times. So Mm -hmm. many times where I would not have gone, I had to go. And I even had to go outside. Yeah. Not one time did I ever regret it afterwards. No. One for one, a hundred percent time. I always felt better yep. after I did it. Yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. And yeah. the longer you do it, you start remembering. The only times I felt bad is when I knew I should have and I didn't. Hundred percent. And but it takes a while to like. It's like a muscle. It takes a while to get that memory of feeling bad because you didn't do it, as opposed to potentially feeling bad if I hurt myself. Mm-hmm. But once you get to that point, you can always pull that memory. Like you know, I know. I don't want to do this right now, but I know because of those endorphins and everything else that gets going and just that sheer accomplishment, I'm going to feel better at the end. hundred percent. Yeah. I don't think Beautiful. there's ever been a single time I regretted working out. Me neither. Not once. Even times that I've physically got hurt from it. Yep. I'm still like, God damn, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or that, that's just, that's what I needed. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, in fact, I even heard a little story that uh, you were smelling our neighbor, the Aptos's neighbor's grease traps the other day and had some throwing up happening. I did. I 100% did. There's also another side story to that, which Jeremy knows, that I won't say on the microphone, but... Uh, Save for off the air, perhaps. Uh, off the air, yeah. I'll tell you. <laughs> but I'm so one of the side effects from that workout was throwing up, yeah. yeah. The grease trap, dude, hit me right in the face and yeah. I just ralphed. Yeah, dude. But hey... <laughs> It was sick. Yeah. I love that. That yeah. was awesome. Yeah, and you're still going to come back tomorrow. It's not like that yeah. that incident occurring to you uh, would deter right. you from going no, back. Not at all, dude. <laughs> That's amazing. yeah. I don't. Yeah, I have no qualms with throwing up. Like it's supposed <laughs> to happen when it happens. It's, it was never been an accident. Yeah. You go hard though, Dal. Mm-hmm. It's impressive. Thank you. I, I always put, I always got a little bit of a regulator to pull myself back from that point. Yeah. I always tell people I'm not very fit, but I try hard. You know, <laughs> like, I try, dude. You are super fit. I try. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> so, what do you got, Jeremy? What do you think? What's the solution from? Uh, not that you haven't mentioned a million so far, but yeah, yeah. What comes I mean, up for you? Um, I mean, fitness is huge. I, uh, I mean, that's huge. 
I won't re readdress that one because you two do such a good job at it. I think, um, you know, people listening that, that are currently in the suffering, I think, um, there's a guy named Joseph Campbell and he's pretty much my idol, personal hero. And, uh, he's most known for, uh, being kind of the, the leading, you know, when he was here, he was kind of the globally recognized leader of myths, mythology, interpretation, and story. Uh, and so Joseph Campbell um, created, uh, deciphered from all these myths from all over the world, from thousands of years ago to hundreds of years ago, and he came up with the hero's journey, which is essentially the archetype for every story ever told. So I can fit any movie anybody's ever seen into the hero's journey. Yep. And I would use this as a, a launching point for groups, especially with the mental health clients. And what I found to be so effective in that is that when people are in the pits of their suffering, um, the real feeling is, I know I need to change. I know how to change. I know what needs to be done. I just can't do it. And that thought of, I just can't do it, gives the impression that it will therefore be this way forever. So when I look at the hero's journey, there is the, the world that the main character is in. Okay, so we'll use Star Wars because it's an easy example and everybody's seen it. But Luke, and it's your, your guys' favorites. Yeah, most, <laughs> most people, they at least know Luke Skywalker is. Mm -hmm. Right, okay. So uh, if Luke had always stayed on Tatooine, right? Luke was lost, right? His family was murdered. Uh, all this other stuff happened. And long story short, he's on this desert planet as a farmer with no end in sight. Now, had there not been some massive intervention from a different world, he would have continued living his life as a farmer, and that would be how he spent his days. Most people feel when they're in the pits of their suffering, like this is how it'll be forever because it's how it's always been. Mm -hmm. And the reason the hero's journey is so paramount is because when they're at that point, the huge shift is always right around the corner. If you're open, if you're present, if you're aware. And after that shift, usually something, a great loss or a, a huge life-changing event will propel them into the new world, right? Where they meet a mentor and they uh, recognize who they are and they fight their, the version of themselves and they pull the sword from the stone and end up victorious and then they return with elixir. They come back having won the biggest battle, destroying the Death Star, and it sets them on this new path in the new world where Luke Skywalker, instead of being a farmer on some desert planet, becomes the savior of the galaxy, right? Mm -hmm. And that's true for every single person on planet Earth. We are on this journey, but just because it feels like it's this way now and it's always been this way, that doesn't mean that it always will be. If you're curious, open, present, if you bring a, a new level of awareness to what could be, it will come. And I think the practical application of that is experiencing what you're experiencing, feeling what you're feeling, and knowing that that's okay, that it's okay to feel that way. And if we can take little baby steps towards uh, a, a new world, 
it will come. The, the, the difficulty people have when they hear all three of us talk about air squats and push-ups is like, I can't do a single push-up. Right. And they, they don't even try, right? Because I've never been fit. I'll never be fit. So the, the invitation is to recognize that that thought is ego. It's subconscious. It's a message that's not even your own, right? It was imparted on you at some point in life, but that doesn't make it true. So how can I prove that wrong today, even if just for five seconds, right? Even if I just get up, do five air squats and sit down. You just trained your unconscious that even though you think I can't do it, I can do it. And the more little incremental changes you impart every single day, the closer you'll get to that new world. That would be my invitation, I think, in short. Yeah. I Me love too, that. Man. And, and I think you're right. I mean, I definitely don't want to scare the listeners. Like, there was no way I CrossFit every single day, twice a day, to survive. I found, and I'm going to segue into just this, I very much struggle with meditation. Mm -hmm. I very much struggle with just sitting there and turning everything off and just being. Yep. Um, I know you, you're not a fan of this and you don't agree, but I am a multitasker. <laughs> <laughs> called I out, dude. I just got called out. I, I operate best. I don't care what science says. I know you're going to hate this. <laughs> I don't care what your science says. I operate best when I'm able to do two things at once. And for me, I found... I would go for walks because that's a legitimate form of exercise. Mm -hmm. We happen to live in a very beautiful place. We mm. have a forest. We have a beach. We're surrounded by beauty. I even just have my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, and and I used to be when I would go for a walk, I thought this is the perfect time to multitask. Uh, task. I'm going to listen to my Audible. Mm -hmm. I'm going to listen to this podcast. I'm going to make this phone call that I've been waiting. While I do this exercise, look at me, two birds, one stone. <laughs> Feeling good about myself. Mm -hmm. But... What I found, and this is me working with a mentor, he said, I want you to do none of that. Mm -hmm. I want you to leave your thing at home and you try to meditate during this time while you're walking. Mm -hmm. And I, at first it was very difficult because mm -hmm. I just like didn't know what to do with myself. And then the magic happened. Mm -hmm. Then the, I was actually able to just open up and listen to the universe. And there's mm -hmm. something about applying movement with being fully present that allowed all those things to come to me. Mm -hmm. And I had the most, and I still have, it's I crave it now. I have to go be by myself, mm -hmm. not walk with someone else. I want to be by myself in the forest, by myself with no noise, no distractions, and just wait for the universe to speak to me. And that's my form of meditation. And I love it. Yep. I love it. It puts me in that space. It's a long period of time. Me moving is the multitasking that I love, but it still is silent and present where I can be open for whatever needs come my way that's it right there that's yeah. amazing yeah it's like you know and i i mean there are times where like dal and i'll talk and we'll say like god i can't imagine like not working out or like not you know working in this field or like not doing any of these things and the reality is that like and this is so perfect for the joseph campbell stuff because you know there's like i'm, I'm totally i'm such a nerd for joseph campbell but it's like, all good he speaks to like king arthur Right. And how him and the Knights of the Round Table approached the dark forest. Right. Now, in the center of this forest, there was a dragon. Right. Protecting all the, the goods, the gold, the loot, whatever you want to call it. And King Arthur and the Knights of the Round were going in to uh, essentially defeat the dragon. 
And so King Arthur starts walking into the dark forest and everybody starts following behind him and he's, he stopped them. And he said, we all have to enter the forest at different places. And the Knights of the Round said, well, why can't we just go with you? It'd be wiser if we all attack at the same time. And he said, because my path is my own, you all have to forge your own paths too. So they all enter the forest in different paths. And because they did, they were able to flank the dragon from all angles rather than all at once. Mm -hmm. And they slayed the dragon. They got the treasure. End of end of story, right? But what I love about that is, and the quote he's so famous for is that it's the cave we fear to enter most that holds the treasure we seek. So if there's a call to action in this podcast and the feeling that comes up is fear, then we're on to something. Yeah. We're on to something. And on the other side of fear is absolutely everything. So be afraid and do it afraid. And you'll you'll find the treasure you seek. I love that. I love that. Wow. Dude, yeah, that's uh, one hell of a call to action. And uh, what's the other one? They say, like, you can't be, like, courageous without being scared first. That's right. You know, like, yeah, you can't dude. have all those cool traits you see in the movie without, like, having the issues. Yeah, courage you without know? fear is just ignorance. Right, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah like, yeah. like, that's really it. Like, if I run into a burning building and I'm not afraid, there's it's probably no because I'm just save. stupid. You yeah, know? Like, <laughs> there's no kid to save upstairs. Yeah. You're just an idiot. Yeah, exactly, dude. <laughs> But I like that though. I like that that there has to be the fear. That's like the the fear is like what imparts the change. Yeah, dude. You know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Eckhart Tolle says fear is all invented, anyways. That's so. right. Yeah. None of it's even real. Yeah, it's just yeah. <laughs> it's just part of the story. Okay, your story. <laughs> Unfortunately, the world story right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's why everybody stayed in their homes. Fear. Yeah. You know the the they really. And I mean, they as in, I don't know who they are. I, well, I do, but I don't want to say. But <laughs> <laughs> there was such a, that was the manipulation was the fear. Yeah. And and everybody out of worry of what they could potentially do to somebody else, put everybody into submission and no action. Yeah. And, you know, for, and like, you know, it's a touchy area, but like, I think the parting line is like, you know, if, if. The shelter in place was meaningful and, you know, helped or whatever, like all that, you know, kind of political divide aside, the fear really, it's like a really toxic fear where it's like, I'm not, the fear prompted inaction, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, an exercise that I'll do personally more than anything and with clients too is like, you know, does this serve me? And if so, like, I don't want people to be afraid of fitness, of mindfulness, of meditation, journaling, all that stuff. And I, yet I also know that there is fear and that fear came from somewhere. So if we have awareness and curiosity around it, it's okay for it to exist. But the thing with the fear that, that stops action is that it doesn't serve us in any way. So if I'm trying to protect my neighbor, and I, I stay inside, that's all fine. How else can I, you know, provide that same compassion for me? And if we all like get a little selfish and just really drop into like, what are my needs? What are my wants? And how can I make those happen regardless of everything in the external? We'd get a little further, I think. 100%. Yeah, man. 100%. Yeah. All oh. right. Before you wrap up, Dal, I can hear the, okay, good. Yeah, but yeah. I want to, I want to <laughs> add one more thing. 
Uh, just as a, as a helpful advice, and, and not to put this as a challenge to our listeners, but I know one thing that all three of us do that makes us feel better every single day, and it has a lot to do with what you were saying of, you know, if, if you're needing something, that's what you need to go give. Mm-hmm. And so I would say to our listeners, if you're needing help, obviously we're here to help you, but go help someone else yeah. and see how that makes you feel. I know mm-hmm. we all do that as part of our profession, which mm-hmm. is makes us, I think, in such a great position in life because every single day we get to give. Every single mm-hmm. day we have a purpose. Every single day we see improvement in others. And for me, there's nothing more fulfilling than yeah. that. Yeah. And I think for people who are stuck in a a dry job that's super boring and they don't have this ability to give others in a meaningful way, I think it can create a lot of the depression and the mental stuff that we're seeing. For and sure. So they got to figure out ways outside of just their job or whatever to be able to give others help. That's right. To feel the help. Yeah. And if it feels like there's nothing left to give, you can always give presence, which is kind of the best gift anyway. Yeah. Absolutely. Just and give some space and yeah. some attention. Yep. And, yeah. yeah, no, that's yeah. a great one, Ange. I think service and uh, fitness and reframes. Yep. Mindfulness. And attention and mindfulness. And do the all, work. Yeah. Do work all day. And every- all of it's free. Yeah, it's all free. <laughs> Besides, like, the nitty-gritty of the fitness stuff. Yeah. But for the most part, it's all costs zero dollars. Air squats are free, man. Air squats are free, dude. Yeah. And they work. Yeah. We all weigh roughly, like, 150, 200 pounds. You all yeah. are carrying a dumbbell. Yeah. An over, use generally an over a one hundred pound dumbbell. Yep. So that I just want to say that. But <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are you saying? Your that? body is a dumbbell. Yeah, That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, I was I with you, it. dude. I was with you. I was Jeremy's there, like, I, I needed the yeah. clarification. So yeah. Thank no, you. your body's a dumbbell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, so you're not just air. He's squatting. basically saying we're all just dumbbells. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're all just iron. It's <laughs> <laughs> my best at Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was good, dude. It was good. Pretty good. Jeremy, thanks for so uh thank you so much for being on the show, dude. This yeah, has man. been kick ass. Yeah, this has course. been awesome. I love it. I hope the audience loves it. And uh thanks for your presence and your attention and your time. Absolutely. Yep. My pleasure. Love being with you guys. Love being with you too. There love it is. Love you, Jeremy. All right, guys, that's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services. And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free, confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org.